the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello. And we have so much to cover today in this podcast about RPGs, a genre that we love. Eastern, Western, PC, console, doesn't matter. We love them all. Even occasionally we talk about tabletop RPGs, usually my misadventures playing uh, Shadowrun. <laughs> I am literally the, the worst tabletop player ever, but that doesn't really matter. Or it's all about having fun. Maybe I am actually the best. I think you are. If you're having fun, you're the best. Everyone's a winner in tabletop <sighs> RPGs, except for the guys who die and don't get their saving rolls. I guess that's something that a dirty millennial would say, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I. I'm, I think I'm older than you. I don't think I'm a millennial cat. Everybody. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> Just take home your participation trophy, Nadia. <laughs> take home your stupid trophy. So I'm trading. I'm channeling Bob right now because I've been listening to uh, a lot of Talking Simpsons of late. So <laughs> has he been making fun of millennials? I mean, he will make make snarky comments about uh, the people who make fun of millennials. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear the voice he does it in too. Like I haven't listened to it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, we miss you, Bob. I actually invited him to come on the podcast today, but he said that he hadn't played Final Fantasy XII in like nine years, so he wouldn't be joining us. Ah, that's too bad. It would have been nice to hear from him again. But yes, we will be talking about Final Fantasy XII HD as well as a lot of other things. Um, we will be covering both the game itself, the HD aspect, and we will be covering kind of the tumultuous decade that it ended up uh, kind of presaging. Mm-hmm. which I wrote a bit about a bit on the site today. But first, let's do some RPG news, Nadia. Hooray! There's tons of like little tiny things floating around that, are, that we should address. Yeah, first thing to address is uh, apparently there's a Fire Emblem Complete Collection, or at least this is a rumor, like it apparently went up on a store page and... Like everybody like went, oh man, Fire Emblem Complete, Cole- Fire Emblem Fates Complete Collection for the Nintendo Switch. How exciting and also possibly inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely inevitable. Uh, well, Nintendo y- sure does have a love for Fire Emblem these days. Yeah, and frankly, I would buy a Complete Collection so fast because I haven't played those Fire Emblem games. And one of the big things stopping me is... There's, it's just like three games and I'm not sure where to start and where to go. And if I have all three in front of me... Ready to go, I will most likely play through them. See, so you played Awakening. I played Awakening, So, yes. the correct answer is for you to start with Birthright, continue to Conquest, and finish with Revelation. Yeah, but then I would have to stop and, like, buy each one, right? Like, it's... I don't know. I'm, I'm still really confused how yes. it all works. But I if, bet you could go I'm... on eBay and get the Ultimate Edition. Yeah, but I can just sit here and wait for it to come out on the Switch, because let's face it, it's going to happen. <laughs> Rumor or not. <laughs> I don't know about that, actually. Well, it's like Mike I, said. Like Mike said in, in Slack, this is a the Switch is where all these like late release Wii U and 3DS games go to die or live. As I it mean, were. the Wii U, yeah. The 3DS, not so much. <clears throat> if anything, Nintendo seems extremely reluctant to put 3DS games on the Switch. That's Otherwise, I think we would have seen Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon on the 3DS or on the Switch instead of the 3DS. Well, I don't know about that, because Pokemon and, and the 3DS went together so well the first time, like, they're just getting one more 
I mean, one thing we talked about previously is how uh, Pokemon really extends the life of, of Nintendo's handhelds uh, several times over. So I could see why they'd want Pokemon on the 3DS and to stay there. But, uh, I mean, Fire Emblem has already been on the uh, the 3DS for a long time, so I, I could see them just porting it over to the uh, the Switch. And it's a complete collection, quote-unquote. Maybe there's something else there, you know? I, I think the problem is twofold. First, there's no real obvious like analog for the dual screen functionality. That's and true. Granted, I don't think Fire Emblem leans very heavily on that functionality, but it's still a thing. Uh, and the other problem is that the 3DS is a notable step down from the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think Nintendo really wants them conflating uh, 3DS game quality with the Nintendo Switch. I think they'd much rather that developers make a game that's well-suited for the Nintendo Switch. So in that regard, Fire Emblem Fates, uh, the only reason it would quote-unquote make a little bit of sense for the Switch is maybe in the sense that it's portable. They're both portable. Otherwise, I don't see it. When uh, the Dragon Quest games from DS went mobile, all they really did was split the screen in half, and it it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but it wasn't bad at all. I, I would think Nintendo could work around that quite nicely. As for the the graphics, um, that just give it like a, a retooling, quote unquote, like just bump it up a bit. Who knows? I, I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. Everything. Is possible. <laughs> I just oh, it's flying. I po- think it's unlikely. Mm. I think intelligent systems like are currently hard at work on a new game for the Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah, that's they've true. said as much. Uh, they just released Shadows of Valencia. Um, there's Fire Emblem Warriors coming out. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> it would be a little bit of a saturation aspect, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I guess it's uh, one of those wait-and-see things as usual. So you said that you would buy Fire Emblem Fates for the Nintendo Switch, though, because like, that would be like a no-brainer for you. Right. Yes, I would. Mm. I don't think I would get it. Well, you played... Uh, did you play all three games on 3DS? I played Birthright... Or see, I played Conquest. I almost finished Birthright. Like I'm like three or four levels away from finishing Birthright. And <laughs> I always meant to get to Revelation, but I never did because it kind of burned out after, yeah. like, my, after the second game. Because even though Birthright is very different from Conquest, ultimately in terms of level design and everything. Um, it still has the same characters. And at the end of the day, that just ended up being a lot of Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> it's like eating too much candy. Oh, too much Fire Emblem. My stomach hurts. Yeah. Yeah, I started to burn out on it after a while. And, and like it felt like kind of a commitment to kind of get back into it um, mm-hmm. when I put it down for a while. So um, I, <laughs> if anything, actually, when I play a thing, it's usually Pocket Card Jockey. <laughs> well that's a good choice on my 3ds I yeah i can't deny that choice that's a good choice pocket car jockey possibly the greatest game ever invented by a human i agree or a horse we don't know if a horse invented it they might have. if you check out if you check uh, i have a tale of woe by the way nadia if you want to hear my tale of woe any tale with horse with race horses usually turns out being a tale of woe but sure go ahead <laughs> so as you may know um, I reviewed the Nintendo 2DS XL on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I um, I transferred everything from my Nintendo 3DS, my new 3DS, over to the 2DS XL. Um, here's the problem. I did mm-hmm. not realize in the course of this transfer, I did not do my homework 
and I did not realize that I had to use this save data transfer protocol. Oh, oh no. Yes. So, so as a result, um, all the games that I had and everything went over, but none of the save data went over. As a result, RIP all of my horses in oh, Pocket no. Card Jockey. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh. And I bet yep. you had some really pretty horses, like the the orange one and the blue one, and the, <laughs> the one with the like the weird nerdy the glasses. The one with the cat butt. The cat yeah. in the butt. <laughs> the cat butt the horse. Cat butt. Yeah. Oh, yes. so I love sad. Cat butt horse. <laughs> yeah, and I had won a lot of races. Like I had won a lot of the major races in that one, so that was especially frustrating. And that's a pain in the ass because um, a pocket card jockey does have a certain element of luck to it. A little bit. Um, I I will admit, like I had gotten a little stuck in a little bit of a rut like mm -hmm. the horses that i had breeding just weren't producing the winners that i needed because like pocket card jockey not to get like too far down this rabbit hole like a lot of it is your success down the line <laughs> is very dependent on growth mm -hmm. the growth of your horses you need mm -hmm. to get hearts you need to uh, get everything you can to make sure that your horse levels up if it does not level up, you will eventually be left in the dust. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. you just can't keep up. Like, you can play literally perfectly, and it won't matter. The other horses will just be faster than you. Yeah. So that, I was in a situation true. where my horses were growing too fast, or growing too slow. <laughs> like they weren't growing fast enough. And so as a result, when I got to the top-level races, they would just get annihilated. And it was super frustrating. So yeah. in a way, this is an, a fresh start, but I, I miss, I, I'm really sad that I lost my old horses. Also, I lost the save data for Persona Q, um, Etrian Odyssey, various Etrian Odysseys, um, a whole bunch of others. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm never playing these games again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of that. My Pokemon Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire uh, data went away, though not the monsters themselves. Because I mm. transferred all the ones that I wanted over to right. Sun and Moon, which was on a cartridge. Right. Oh, that's true. I would have so been pretty, pretty pissed if I had actually lost all of those monsters. What about, um, you said Sun and Moon, everything was saved? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all on the cartridge. Okay, good. Thank God. I, I, okay, oh, I, I have to I was check, but I, I think everything is okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Now I planted an idea in your brain. Uh, well, this makes me a little nervous. Anyway. Remember, kids, when you transfer your 3DS data over, use the save data transfer utility. And, of course, since we're talking about Nintendo over here, we can't exactly just go back and, you know, grab that save data and, and just kind of put it over. Yeah, God forbid. Yeah. God forbid that it'd be easy and you have, like, just a situation where you can stick a USB in or something. Or, like, a cloud save or something. Can't or just that. be able to shift over the SD card into a new system. God forbid <laughs> we can't, you'd be able to do that. We definitely can't have that. Oh, gosh, no. no. Not in the year of our Lord 2017. <laughs> <laughs> you think this is the future or something? God. Anyway, speaking of Pokemon, by the way, there's some kind of teaser going around. Have you seen this one? Mm hmm. The weird alien stuff? The Pokemon Mystery Files. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, like, it uh, highlights all of the weird alien stuff that happens in Pokemon and. Believe it or not, there's a lot of weird alien stuff happening. There's a whole lot of alien. Even in the first game, like Clefairy is from the moon. Like time travel stuff. Sun and moon, like Cthulhu shows up or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cthulhu-like or, or, monsters come from the monster dimension and like 
absorb people. It's actually really freaky. It is kind of freaky for Pokemon. Towards the end of the game, when you enter that dimension, you're like, oh, okay. Like, the literal Lovecraftian jellyfish going on here. Okay, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. It really freaks me out. So, people are speculating that this is a teaser for Pokemon Sun and Moon. Mm-hmm. We'll find out next week, but I strongly, su- I I really think that it's just uh, a teaser for some Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon feature. Yeah, like a, a story within the story or a part of the story itself. Like, uh, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, we see the unknown too, don't we? Pokemon Stars is not happening, people. Let me <laughs> just, I'm just going to put this out for you. It's not, this generation not coming out on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, like the second the second that they said Ultra Sun Ultra Moon on the Switch, and didn't announce stars, it was dead. It was over. They're making a new Pokemon for the Switch. That's the next generation. It'll probably be out in 2019. That's Man. the one. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, pretty everybody. much. So I, I can yeah. see how uh, the uh, Ultra Sun Ultra Moon, like, okay, sure, they'll have some sort of like you know alien slash star based stuff, but there's definitely not Pokemon stars. No. So I expect that it's going to be some cool new feature that they announced in Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon. Something to do with the unknown, probably, because mm-hmm. that's a, the final shot of the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Continuing onward. Um, news from the classic fantasy RPG uh, sector. A game called Grimoire, Heralds of the Winged Exemplar, is finally coming out on PC. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> After 20 years, the game was first beta tested in 1998, Nadia. That was a wow. long time ago. Yeah. and Made by look- one guy. One guy. And uh, his name is Cleve Blakemore. That's nice uh, And he, uh, he, he's been working on this thing for like 20 years. It's, like, it's your classic first person dungeon crawler. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. straight out of 1991 kind of, like, look to it. You can have, like, 60 recruitable NPCs, like, tons <laughs> of monsters that are, like, hand-painted. It looks really cool in a very, yeah, very retro kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Just looking <laughs> at it, it, it's not my cup of tea, but uh, it's the kind of stuff I like looking at. Like, I love those, like, old-fashioned sort of D&D monster designs, and this is specifically meant to be kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, wizardry and Eye of the Beholder and all of that. Yes, it's advertised as being in the tradition of wizardry, might, and magic, and Eye of the Beholder. Very much for the old school, hardcore RPG, computer RPG, like mm-hmm. fanatic dungeon mm-hmm. crawler. Um, from the JRPG side, like you can kind of liken it to Etrian Odyssey. You have like, apparently like, it appears to be like up to eight characters. I, I just think it's an interesting curiosity. This guy's been working on this longer than a lot of gamers have been alive. <laughs> Good for him. I, yeah, I admire good for that. him for sticking with it. Like, yeah, this is an interesting thing. So, uh, it was supposed to come out last week. Did not come out last week. I think we could wait a little longer, given how many years it's been in development. A, a week or two is not going to make a big difference. Yeah, apparently, um, apparently he's working out some uh, last-minute changes. I mean, <laughs> hey, you've been working on it this long. You might as well get it right, right? <laughs> Some last-minute changes. Okay, I'm going to make the whole thing like 3D polygons and uh, have a... <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with the Duke Nukem. We need a new engine. Need a whole new we engine. Need the reset it all. button. Nice. But uh, my hat's off 
to the guy who's been working on this. Like, it's no small thing to make an RPG and to stick mm-hmm. with it for so long. That, that's really amazing. So I look forward to playing it for the first time. Hopefully, whenever it comes out, hopefully soon. <laughs> Here's what I got to wonder, and I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to track this guy down and ask him this. Was he planning on releasing this as like a boxed game in like 2000 or something? Oh, that would be amazing. God, like the days before Steam. And he, if he, he was beta testing this thing in 1998. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it wasn't like there was a digital download. Like there were ways to distribute games back then. But this, I, I don't know. He was going to. Was he going to distribute over message? Uh, like use yeah, like, say- news groups? Just uh, copy it to a floppy. Copy that floppy and, and <laughs> hand it out to Elle's friends. He's going to show up like, he's going to show up at random LAN parties and be like, hey, <laughs> play my game. You first. want me to burn a copy of Harold's Grimoire of the Winged Exemplar? Um, <laughs> sorry, Grimoire, Harold's of the Winged Exemplar for you, just like we used to do when I was in high school. Oh, awesome. I'm dating Did myself you- a little bit here. I didn't ca- I didn't pirate anything up. I I told everybody very sternly that they shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, you would usually do okay until like the uh, copy protection from the instruction booklet would kick in and you would nuke the game when you didn't identify the proper ship or whatever. Yeah. All right. So, last thing, and this is a weird one, but it's Fallout 4 related. Um uh, you wrote an article, Nadia, titled Old Man Yells at Fallout 4, um, and then <laughs> yes, subsequently got called Aegis for that. Uh, do did. you want to um, explain this one for us? Uh, it has to do with um, the guy who wrote The Wanderer, the song The Wanderer. Uh, I know his first name is Dion, but I'm totally blanking on his last name right now. But um, he basically uh, gave permission to ZeniMax, the, the parent company of Bethesda, to... Uh, use the wanderer for the commercials for or, or to use um basically to use the the song for fallout 4 and they used it in a commercial and uh apparently like he said the commercial was violent you know it's just like you know selling a violent game to kids etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's also saying that um even though he gave the general li- rights to uh universal to use this uh the song he had the right of refusal and didn't like you know ask him, okay, can we use it specifically for this commercial? Here's what the commercial looks like. So, if that's the case, and they had this contract, and it was broken, by all means, okay, sure, that's that is what that is, then, you know, that's between them. But I was kind of a little bit irritated at the whole, like, you know, old man, I know I shouldn't say old man, I guess that is kind of ageist, I'm sorry. You know, just like, tearing into an old video game, uh, tearing into a video game because it's violent, it's, you know, horrible, it's, you know, has no nutritional value. And uh, the the thing is, the commercial he's complaining about has no violence in it to speak of. It's just the main character, the protagonist of Fallout 4, wandering, like the song declares, like, from place to place. You, I think he shoots a rad roach, and you see it for two seconds. Not even two seconds, mm-hmm. like half a second. But I um, think I know which commercial you're talking about, you actually. You probably yeah. do, yeah. And there's nothing violent about it. There's he He's just complaining about video games in general. They're evil, horrible, nasty things that, you know... and uh, desensitize children to to violence and uh frankly his song is about going from town to town and, and sleeping with women <laughs> so if we're going to play moral police uh i gotta say neither neither one comes out st- uh, smelling like a rose in fairness fallout 4 is pretty violent yeah now the interesting thing about that is that uh there is a fan trailer that someone made 
where, yes, the footage is very gratuitous, and you do see a lot of shooting and blood everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And people are wondering, okay, so did he mix up the original commercial with his trailer? <laughs> is, it, is he suing, like, Zenimax over this, this trailer that someone else made? Mm. So maybe it's all a mistake? You know, maybe he has a case? I have no idea. We'll have to see how it turns out. He, he only wants, like, I, I say only, but he wants a million dollars, plus, I think... <laughs> Uh, whatever the, the lawsuit fees come out to be, which isn't like, you know, like, you destroyed my life, I want $30 million, but, like, you know, I've I've had just so many people, like, come, come up to me and, like, they learn about, oh, you write about video games, oh, I won't let my children play video games because I saw a scary documentary. It's like, you can't complain about a game indoctrinating children, like, if it's rated M. They're not supposed to be playing the stupid thing. <laughs> There's a there's is a system that you can follow and you should follow. I don't think kids should be playing violent video games. I agree, and actually there are a lot of games out there that are not violent and yeah. um, are perfectly suitable. I, I would say Fallout Four, maybe not suitable for your ten year old kids, but it really that's where uh, parental like being a good parent comes into play. Yeah, it, exactly. Like and being aware of what your kids playing. And let's face it, a, a lot of parents they'd rather you know complain about the whole medium rather than you know be uh selective about what their kids are playing and educate themselves about the esrb even though the esrb provides like so much more information than the average like mpaa rating you know mpaa says oh parental gun is suggested and if you go to esrb and you look up a game's rating like it'll tell you everything and give you examples of what you'd be getting into so it's really well, not that hard people video game violence is a time-honored discussion and a very, very deep rabbit hole for us to go down. Uh, I will, however, say that Fallout 4, while violent, uh, I mean, it does have heads exploding, after all. It's not <laughs> as violent. Uh, I would say it's not nearly as violent as, like, many, many, many other games that are out there. No, and one thing I also argued in my piece is that uh, I brought up how, yeah, it's a game where you absolutely can, like, massacre whatever you want but it's also a game where you can you can build a settlement and you know that as well as anyone you can rebuild from this this like horrible nuclear wasteland yeah you can go massacre whomever you want but the game doesn't really encourage you to do that necessarily yeah, yeah. like there are definite consequences for just walking in and opening fire in a city <laughs> like, yeah don't you do will that. be like the game explicitly is like no don't do that i'm gonna kill the bad guys <laughs> Make their heads explode. When you when you do something like that, you see the uh, the disapproving vault boy frowning down at you. Well, yeah, that and uh, the police come and arrest you. <laughs> well, they don't arrest you; they kill you. Like they just shoot you dead. Frontier justice and all that. You yeah, do get arrested say, in um, Skyrim. That's true. If you like throw bread at someone, you get arrested. If you shoot at anybody, the entire city instantaneously becomes hostile and turns on you and you get cut down by five billion like laser bolts. <laughs> and anybody affiliated, and if you open fire on a faction, that faction is instantly hostile from forever mm. and there's no way to get away from it and they will like shoot at you forever. So there and, is... And like whole sections of the game will become inaccessible. So there is law and there is order and it's not just like, the lawsuit claims it's not just like a, a, a mindless murder simulator where you you face no consequences for going around acting like an asshole. Yeah, that's GTA. Yeah, and that <laughs> I think that's what all like older people think of when they think of like video games. They all think GTA, GTA, GTA. Won't people? Someone please think of the children. 
<laughs> Someone's got to, apparently. Okay. Uh, there was one other uh, piece of news that I wanted to cover. And... Oh, yeah. All right, Nadia, I lied. There's one last piece of news that I want to cover really quickly. Liar. Uh, Nino Kuni 2 delayed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, delayed that until next out. year. Well, big shrug emoticon over here. I know there are plenty of people who are pretty excited about that one. Yeah, I never played the first one, so... I mean, this is a different one. <laughs> Nino Kuni 2. <laughs> it, it, it's a different one. That's the tagline. I mean... Okay, so Nino Kuni 2. Um, I'm not that pu- I'm not that pumped about it, to be honest. Um, I know that there are plenty of people who are excited about it because it's like it's a double A uh, RPG. I guess I would kind of want to say from level five. Same people who made Nino Kuni One. Um, they no longer are working with Ghibli, though they're kind of, sort of going with a almost Ghibli-esque yeah. uh, kind of art style, but it's much more like, much more in the vein of just traditional level five, let's be honest. Um, yeah, like the Professor Layton sort of look to it. They changed the battle system really dramatically. Uh, instead of having monsters with you, they have these little, um, do you remember the little forest sprites from Princess Mononoke? Yes, the little like weird looking guys with the Yeah, faces. they're around. They're just like around. <laughs> and yeah. they can do things for you, like um they'll like create a circle and you'll run into it and that will like cause like elemental things to happen like create a shield or that kind of thing that's really um important for boss battles and that kind of thing which is fine Mm -hmm. um there's a uh, the story is about a kid who's like a king but he's like a young king and he needs to learn what it takes to be king he's traveling with his companions he's going through trials that kind of thing um they're going to a variety of different worlds one of them looks a lot like china i guess and you're mm-hmm. finding like kind of a chinese dragon um i think the battle system looks a little i, I want to say just a little shallow mm-hmm. and i think the arts okay um pretty level five ish uh it, it's it's pretty i guess um and i don't this is a, maybe a small consideration, but I don't like how the chibi art of the overworld clashes with the, the main look of the game. That doesn't it's, bother me so much because I'm so used to like... kind of awkward. Don't like it. I guess it's a little awkward in this day and age, but I'm just thinking back to like, you know, the olden, the really olden days of RPGs like Final Fantasy IV where you had the overworld sprites like were as big as a thumbnail and then uh, the battle sprites were a little bit bigger. Also, apparently... Um, uh, Apparently, the president of level five, Akihiro Hino, uh, was confused by a question like that got lost in translation, and he thought somebody was asking about online features, but in fact, they were asking about multiplayer. And so Hino answered in the affir- affirmative that Nino Kuni 2 will have multiplayer, but then he said, actually, no, there will be no multiplayer in <laughs> Nino Kuni 2. Sorry, sorry for the confusion here. There will be online features, not. Not mm. multiplayer. I'm not which, sure where you'd fit multiplayer into that. Uh, something like Secret of Mana, I guess. I guess so, yeah. But it's not something like, you see very often. Make it something like a split screen kind of situation where one person controls one character, the other person controls the other. Because like, I, I think the it's a hack and slash game, really. It's mm-hmm. an action RPG. Um, so like, there's room within the framework to make it work. True. But true. um, 
yeah. Anyway, it feels like Nino Kuni 2 just feels like, to me, level 5's take on the Tales series. I think it's Katie's very... really looking forward to it, isn't she? Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, lots of people are looking forward to it. I'm just like going, eh, it's not that exciting to me. When you when I, when I you tell me that it has a story about a, a kid who has to learn how to be king, I think of Little King Story, which was a great game, uh, except I tried to play it on Steam and it was buggy as hell. No, but that's I love the idea. Like, this little kid trying to grow up to be king, but, like, he's being kind of manipulated by his, like, really... Everyone's so goofy and cute-looking, but everyone's just so evil down, <laughs> down inside. It was a great game. Too bad it really flopped on the Wii. And Nino Kuni 2 coming in January 2018. That was supposed to come in November, right? I think originally. Yeah, it was supposed to come out this fall. So that's a bit of a window to miss, but uh, these days it doesn't seem to matter very much. Eh, all the, art, all the good JRPGs come out in the spring anyway. Yeah. So that's why this one's coming out in the winter. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're looking forward to Nino Kuni 2, I'm sorry. I, I, I will definitely like give it an interested glance. All right, Nadia. Uh, earlier this week, Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, officially came out. Uh, you can read my review on the site. Um, you've been playing it, right? Yeah, um, I only just got to start because I was gone for the week. I wasn't at my home, but uh, I did uh, finish the tutorial stage, and I'm like playing as Vaughn now. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely um, I can see why people were complaining about the battle system way back in the day. It seems to be something that fits in more these days. I definitely see the MMO influence. Did you not play it back in the day? No, I didn't. No, no, no. I thought I told you about that. Like my husband bought it for me, I never played it, and he got mad. Nadia, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Everything, apparently. That's okay. I, I, Like I said, I played it um, after the fact and kind of like wrote it off and Jeremy yelled at me. Um, <laughs> That's right. Which was a thing. Uh, but I, I played it again and I gave it a very like positive review. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because I think that the game itself is like actually pretty good. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoy it for the most part. Um I think that it, the story loses the thread a little bit um, once you get to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the to- there's a definite tonal shift um, from kind of the Yasumi Matsuno political intrigue and that kind yeah. of thing to something maybe a little more like anime centric. Yeah, I can, you know, even starting the game as I have, uh, I can feel that conflict almost because uh, you start off with a very solemn kind of prologue and then hey, here's Vaughn, and he's got to do tasks for some idiot. Like He's got to kill a rat. Yeah, he's got to kill some rats. Oh, Many okay. rats. We're just doing this now, huh? And he doesn't have a the opening is so good. Yeah, I like, really enjoyed it. You see, you see, like, the wedding between the princess and the prince, and mm-hmm. it's all, like, very joyous and everything. And then you see that they're marching off into battle against the invading empire, Arcadia, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And you see, um, there's this great cut where you see an airship flying along and then like as part of the military procession and then it shifts over to nighttime and you see it in like this awesome dogfight around like this massive airship, like and gets shot down and everything. And like there's this like almost Star Wars-esque battle going on around it that looks really cool. Yeah, I gotta say, no one does a a friggin' battle scene like Square Enix. Like just the the um video for uh 
meteor falling on Final Fantasy uh, 14. That was incredible. That was great. And the cutscenes, like, I had forgotten. Like, you don't see cutscenes in the same way that you used to now, do you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, everything pretty much takes place in engine. Engine, yeah. 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 So the cutscene as we know it is kind of, uh, well, it's old fashioned, mm-hmm. I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. Like, I, I was surprised at how cool it looked, how much it added to certain sequences. I, I thought that was neat. Um, yeah, I haven't seen too many, but what I have seen is pretty well choreographed. Like you mentioned, like the opening with the battle, etc. And then it continues on, like you see that Dalmasca loses, um, the young prince dies, uh, the Dalmasca falls under the thumb of the Empire, and it's engineered in such a way that Dalmasca loses all of its independence mm-hmm. by Vane, who is the son of the Emperor, and a bit of a schemer, it must be said. <laughs> yes. Always, I always trust a guy named Vane. How could you not? It's like trusting a guy exactly. named Iago. And that's when it shifts over to Vaughn, mm. our street rat. <laughs> Someone called him like a shitty Aladdin. <laughs> Someone on my Twitter feed. He looks like Titus. With, with Titus Aladdin. They had a Yeah, like it's like mashup of Titus and Aladdin. Riff raff, street rat. <laughs> Except I no daddy don't issues. Buy that. Because they're orphans. Because he's an orphan. Yes. Uh so okay, here's the thing. I like Vaughn. For I don't the know most yet. part. He a little more grounded than Titus. Fair enough. Um and I think that actually it's not a bad thing to kind of shift over the perspective mm-hmm. um, in Final Fantasy twelve to kind of see it from ground level and see like how the Empire's like strict new laws are affecting the populace and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do get a sense for that. And later on, he becomes much less important in the story. He becomes kind of an audience surrogate. Mm-hmm. But that's fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's okay to like, just be watching it through the eyes of Vaughn, the outsider, while Baltier and Bosch and all them, like, do cool things. <laughs> they do cool adult things. The adults are talking. Shut up, Vaughn. <laughs> Shut up, Vaughn. <laughs> but uh, here, here's an interesting thing. Uh, speculation was, for a long time, there was talk. So, uh, you know the story, the history of Final Fantasy XII's development, right? Uh, a little bit of it. Wasn't Vaughn not supposed to be the, the main character? at one point okay so it's a little confusing on this point but like i was asking it was like people thought that bosch was supposed to be the main character and they were like no the development team was like no uh but he was one of the first created Mm. and so Mm -hmm. people saw the concept art and assumed that he was the lead (laughs) right but when I was reading Jeremy Parrish's uh, feature on Polygon, the making of Final Fantasy XII, he interviewed the same people that I did. And he asked about it too. And they said that the main character switch happened early in the process. Which, yeah, that can happen. Which I'm like, okay, so what? So who was the main character? <laughs> who was the main character as originally conceived? So there was a switch. Mm hmm. Like, Bosch was the main character? Like, so there's, like, there's some, uh, there's some, like, difference. Like, I'm, I'm like, which one is it? Like, I kind of want to get clarification before I go one way or another. But, so, yeah, that's a little confusing. But it, 
The speculation has always been that Vaughn is the product of executive meddling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That he was put in because um, he was intended to, because they needed somebody that the audience could relate to. Mm -hmm. And indeed, uh, supposedly Matsuno, Yasumi Matsuno, who was directing the game at at the start, was a little like frustrated by this feeling of like, he was used to having total control over the project, but then he was used. He had to go with more of a democratic approach when he was mm-hmm. making Final Fantasy XII, which tells me that certain things were forced upon him, like stuff like the giant airships. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, "Oh, what's airships. this? What?" I, I think he wanted something a little more grounded than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So maybe Vaughn was forced upon him. It's an interesting question. Yeah, but. The thing that they explicitly said no was not the case was Yasumi Matsuno left the project in 2005 because mm-hmm. of health problems, ostensibly. Like, he got very sick, had to leave the project. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it were, like, overwork or something. Yeah, like, overwork, stress, the sort of thing that really happens to Japanese devs a little too often. This happened to the guy who was behind uh, uh, Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, worked, he was worked so hard that... Um, it was Yoshinori Ono, I think it was. Yeah. Like, he was worked so hard that, like, he basically got incredibly ill and was in the hospital and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Sad this is a common it. thing. Uh, but, yeah, Matsuno had to leave the project, or, like, he became special supervisor or something. Mm-hmm. And as a as a result, like, some other people stepped in um, with Akitoshi Kawazu, who had been working on, like, the Saga games and everything, taking over as executive producer. So the speculation after that was always Kawazu is was the one who was kind of behind the tonal shift toward mm-hmm. the latter part of the game and he was the reason why the the final act is a little uneven and like the why the story loses the thread a little bit and things like that mm-hmm. and they were like no the scenario <laughs> and everything was always laid out from the start kwazu mm-hmm. basically just came in and shepherded it to the end that's interesting so, so laying aside some urban myths right there like kwazu like, there's so much speculation around this around this project because it took friggin' six years to make. <laughs> and Final Fantasy games only got longer in between. For reference, everybody complained about Final Fantasy XIII taking a long time to complete. Final Fantasy XII was announced, or was under development by December 2000. <laughs> came out in 2006. Yeah. Final Fantasy XIII was announced in 2006. And did not come out until 2010. Mm-hmm. That's, that's four the, years difference. Yeah, it's a little better. Yeah. But in any case, um, I'm curious. How do you like the graphics, Nadia? How does it look to your eyes? Uh, everything looks great until it looks someone in the face. <laughs> <laughs> then it I kind of go weird, right? They're out. like a little too smooth. Yeah, their eyes are a little dead. I mean, yeah, like, you can totally see the artifacts of the PS2 in there, for yeah. sure, right? Yeah, so I'm willing to give it a pass for that, because it, that's not the first game that's happened to I, I can't remember, there was another game I played recently where it was kind of an upgrade from the PS2 era, and it was like, oh my god, if I look at your face, I'm going to flow into hell or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the backgrounds and everything look great, and thankfully it's an RPG, so you're not really looking people in the face too often, you're just kind of beating up monsters. Monsters look yes. fun. Yeah, they redid the lighting engine. So I think that it has had a really positive impact on the clothing in particular. The clothes look really good. Yeah, no complaints about the clothes. Everything, everything else is great. 
I think the lighting has made a giant difference, in fact, in a lot of ways. Like, without the lighting, I think it would actually look pretty flat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just goes to show that lighting can just make a giant difference in, yeah. in a game. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the architecture of Ravenastre, like, a little bit square block just a bit yeah but that's a, yeah. that's really a final fantasy thing too sometimes where they just get overly fancy with the architecture and it, you the cities kind of lose that lived-in look i mean you come from san francisco i've come from toronto we all know that cities kind of have their grimy corners and those don't uh, exist in the final fantasy universe i don't know this is like one of the more real looking cities that i've seen in a final fantasy well, i have to like explore it more but final fantasy does kind of fall into that like that really pretty sort of uh, city look. Would you say Midgar is like the most l- realistic looking city in a Final Fantasy? And that place is a dump, isn't it? I actually Kinda. love... has the slums and everything. I actually love the way Midgar is designed. You could tell they put so much thought into that. Just the way, God, you have people like having shops and in buses and stuff like that and living in like, you know, whatever they can find. Yeah, that's like a really well-designed city where every room, you could tell, they really thought it out. They thought out how this person live here. It, it kind of loses that once you leave Midgard, but yeah, I, I love the way Midgard is designed. Did you unlock the license board yet? I did, yes. I, I probably did the wrong thing, and I selected Archer, but uh, I love Archers. Hmm, let's see. Archer, not the greatest choice for Vaughn, unfortunately. Probably not. Not catastrophically bad. Yeah, uh, Vaughn is a good Vaughn is good as a knight. Really, interestingly enough, yes. Oh, because I, I was really waffling between like uh, a knight and sorry, not a knight, but like an archer and like something more like a thief, like the something. Because he looks like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He initially seems to be like your kind of common thief type, a, a lock maybe. Yeah, like I, that's why that's what I had him pegged for. That's why I was really waffling there. Nope, hmm. he has some of the highest stats in the game. Hmm. So okay. does Ash. So, um, was it Ash? Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah, Ash. Um, yeah, Ash. Uh, those two have, like, some of the highest stats in the game. So mm. they're, like, a really good choice for, like, knight. Okay, so I'll make, I'll make uh, Ash a knight, I guess. Yeah, there you go. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and then much later, like, I was, Baltier, I guess, is a pretty good, I think Baltier is maybe a good archer. Yeah, he's a pretty decent archer, and he's a good white mage. I'll probably make him a white mage, because like, I already have an archer yeah. move over. But um, yeah, I ended up making Vaughn a knight, Ash into a samurai, or a bushi. Um, <laughs> Fran, who's rabbit girl, I don't know if you've met her. She's a black mage. Um, I made Baltier into a white mage, and I made Bosch into um, uh, the, the, the dragoon. Ooh, which one's the dragoon in that one? Because I know there was a lance user, but I have I didn't pick them. Uh, it starts with an, a U. Why can't they call it a dragoon? Why does it gotta have a U in there? It's like Oolongar or something like that. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, and uh, and Pinello is also one of those things, but I never use Bosch or Pinello. <laughs> <laughs> like my party rotated and ended up rotating between Vaughn Ash. Baltier and Fran. Like mm-hmm. when Baltier ran out of MP, I would switch over to Fran because you mm-hmm. can switch like seamlessly. Which There's is actually, good. it's actually in your best interest to keep your entire party like kind of rotating frequently throughout mm-hmm. because if any of them die, then you can have backups. Mm-hmm. 
that's good to know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What do you think of the license board? Well, I haven't really gotten really deep into it yet, but, um, well, I guess I can't go back and change it or, or change a, a, an occupation once I have it, can I? <laughs> nope. <you're not. laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, Interesting choice on their part. Yeah, good job, me. But um, <laughs> I actually think we a long time ago, when this was first announced, what the license board was, I said I liked the idea because sometimes I get, even though I can't go back and change a bad idea, a bad decision, I like not having to fret over jobs. Once I've made my choice, I've made my choice, and i got to live with it whether I like it or not. Hmm. One thing about Final Fantasy V, uh, v that kind of trips me up is I just kind of get stressed out between the, the very idea of changing a job on the fly. Like, I know it's a stupid thing to get stressed out over, but it just drives me up the wall. The interesting thing about Zodiac Age is that... So originally, the original Final Fantasy XII license board was a lot more open-ended, and mm-hmm. you kind of created a job. Like, you kind of figured out where you wanted to go by yourself. And it was a lot more open-ended. Um, Zodi- and then the international Zodiac version introduced the concept of jobs, but also, in the process, introduced a lot of stuff that wasn't on the original license board. Mm-hmm. So... It both refocused the original concept and also expanded it. So a lot of people said this is the right way to play mm-hmm. Final Fantasy XII. Well, here's the interesting thing about Zodiac Age. It introduces the international Zodiac version. It removes the original license boards. You cannot access it, even mm-hmm. though I thought you could. Like, I was actually confused because it said I had remembered, like, the text about, like, it going, oh, once you choose your license board, like, you can't change, so be careful. And I'm like... And I thought there had been a prompt about which one you want, but no, that's not the case. Mm. Um, the thing that's interesting is once you get to a certain point in the game, you gain access to a second license board. You can attach a second class to your characters. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Um, and I don't know how I feel about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a licensed... <laughs> To make your characters overpowered. Yeah, it kind of comes across that way because you could. So there's no limitations. Like you'd be like a, a a knight who uses black magic, I guess. Like a black. Yeah, knight. like all of a sudden, characters who would have formerly been restricted to light armor can wear heavy armor. That's very Final Fantasy Fantasy Six ish with the the merit reward or whatever it was that let your light characters use like heavy armor, so you can make like characters that could destroy anything in their path pair together classes in the right way like basically you disguise the limit (laughs) (laughs) and like yeah i i think that uh, i'm not really good enough at figuring out like what are the most overpowered combinations Mm -hmm. but i know that there are people who are going to figure it out (laughs) (laughs) probably without a problem and they're gonna break the heck out of the game so I don't know. I don't know why you would add that. I, I feel like the spirit is in the right place. Mm-hmm. Like, But it just feels like a license to be like, oh, well, game's broken now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's kind of optional. Yeah, basically. Like, you don't really have to do it, but it's there and it's weird not to. I guess if it's like, it might be even there to help out beginners because if mm. you can kind of, if it's the closest the game has to an easy mode, I suppose. There, people are always like, I suppose people would say, well, the more options, the better. But I would always argue that limitations can be good. So we should talk about Final Fantasy VI sometime. <laughs> yeah. 
limitations on what you can open up can be good because from a design standpoint, it forces hard decisions. <laughs> and a lot of a good RPG is how many interesting decisions do you have to make? Right. I, I can so, appreciate that. Yeah. So but- I guess in a way it adds some more decisions for you to make. Mm-hmm. But you spend a lot more, but it also opens up the possibilities. I'm not sure how I feel. Do you have any, like, do you have some thoughts? Leave a thought in the comment or send an email to usgamer at usgamer.net. Tell us what you think, and we may respond, read your reply on the show. But, uh, so yeah, Final Fantasy twelve, the Zodiac Age, um, a lot of people are playing it. Like, yeah. this feels like the moment for Final Fantasy twelve's time to shine, Nadia. Like, <laughs> it didn't really get a chance to shine back in 2006. No, that was like right on the cusp of the, like, the, the next generation, wasn't it? Like PS3 generation, Xbox 360. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I argued in an article today that there's an interesting what if. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you aware that Final Fantasy XIII was originally a PS2 game? Really? Hmm. Yes. Okay. So it was originally I, conceived of yeah. as a PS2 game. And it would have come out, see, Final Fantasy twelve would have come out in 2004. That was the plan. Because mm-hmm. it was like going, Final Fantasy ten was 2001, 11 was 2002, I think ten two was maybe 2003. Mm-hmm. Or 2004, one of the two. I think it was 2004. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2004, but but 12 was originally supposed to come out in 2004, and it did not. And then Final Fantasy 13 could have been kind of the last hurrah for the system yeah. in 2006. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen, obviously. No. <laughs> By 2005, Final Fantasy 12 was definitely not coming out that year. It was over schedule Matsuno left the project they still had like a year left to make this thing happen they were having a lot of trouble with like technical limitations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like in trying to make this like a seamless real-time engine they ran into some serious problems no kidding uh, with what the ps2 was able actually capable of accomplishing so they were having a lot of trouble and so all of that stuff kind of resulted in a somewhat troubled project and so, like, Square, it kind of forced Square Enix's hand. On the one hand, it, like, it changed their calculus. Like, it was mm-hmm. like, okay, Final Fantasy thirteen is definitely not coming out in 2006. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. For the PS2. Okay, well, we made, like, this demo of Final Fantasy seven, and everybody loved it, mm-hmm. right? So, maybe this is the time to push Final Fantasy thirteen onto next-gen consoles. Hmm. What if Final Fantasy twelve had come out in two thousand four and Final Fantasy thirteen had come out in two thousand six as planned? Would would Square Enix have had a trouble as troubled a transition as they ended up having? What do you think, Nadia? Ooh, I don't know. Like, um if I'm not mistaken, didn't Japanese developers have in general have a hard time adapting to HD, and uh, I know Nintendo did, and uh, maybe that's why Final Fantasy. One reason Final Fantasy Thirteen was delayed, not only because well, everything kind of got bumped up, but just that tra- it seems like that transition to uh, three sixty Xbox uh, to uh, three sixty and uh, PlayStation Three just just kind of really 
stumped a lot of developers. Like, they really kind of stumbled for a while there. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I don't know what a 13 on, on PlayStation 2 would be like. Would it be, like, because, of course, play, uh, 13 was, um, some people say it's kind of shallow. I haven't played it mm-hmm. myself. But PS2, even though it was aging hardware, at least it was familiar hardware, would they have been able to be more experimental with, with Final Fantasy 13 on the PlayStation 2? I think it would have been a lot better on the the PlayStation 2. Because mm-hmm. that was known hardware. Mm-hmm. I think that it wouldn't... Final Fantasy 13 was such a weird and like <laughs> painful process for them. Because yeah. they're like making all of these assets and everything. And like... They on the one hand they had a lot of like they they could do a lot of things, but they were also constrained by mm-hmm. like how hard the process was and I don't know, like it would have looked totally different. Yeah. Not as fancy, but for one thing they thing. totally changed over the development team. The original development team was more like the ten two development team. Mm-hmm. And they changed it over to like the they built like a whole new development team for this thing. They built like entirely new tool set. Yeah. Like an entirely new engine. Like this thing was wildly reimagined. Yeah. <laughs> in its move over to the PS3. It would have been a totally different game on the PS2 and possibly better. Like mm-hmm. just by virtue of it being on a known system mm-hmm. by people who like it would have been led by uh, 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 Toriyama and Katase and they would have been like, yeah, like we know we what we're this. doing with this one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I would contend that Final Fantasy XIII being announced in 2006 put a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on Square Enix. It set expectations. Yeah. Right? Okay, well, PS3 is now getting an HD Final Fantasy. When's it coming out? Not this year. Not next <laughs> year. Not the year after. Right? Where is yeah. it? Where's our HD Final Fantasy? That's a problem. Yeah. And uh, they did that, as you said, they did that tech demo for Final Fantasy VII, but that was just a tech demo, and mm-hmm. that's very different from making a whole game. And also, I, I would say that releasing Final Fantasy thirteen in 2006 on the PS2 would have given them breathing room mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to develop the tools they need and have a somewhat clearer vision yeah i agree like i don't know if it's actually the case but it just feels like they spent so much time on the assets and then didn't really know how to put them all together yeah something like that and like i don't know it just seemed like the development of final fantasy 13 like katasi said that just the switch over to the ps3 lost them a year and a half of development yeah. time yeah okay I can see that. that's 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 rough that is that's a lot of wasted effort yes and on the other hand, okay, on the other hand, I would, you can make an argument that Square Enix had some weird ideas about where they wanted to take Final Fantasy and that they were screwed anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can agree with that. In my, argue, in my article, I, I went back to, it was like, probably the, the turning point was when Spirits Within flopped mm-hmm. in 2001 and mm-hmm. Sakaguchi left and, like, that was the turning point. They merged with Enix. Like, that was a huge, huge turning point for the, the entire company. Like, they mm-hmm. changed irrevocably from that point on. Yeah. But, and that changed everything. It changed their philosophy around the series. I mean, not long after that, we got our first sequel to a numbered game. Yeah. <laughs> that still blows my mind sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it was like Disney, right? Like yeah. Aladdin 2. <laughs> Cinderella 3. Okay, we're doing this now. 
which in fairness, Final Fantasy X-2 is a good game. Yeah, I never played it, but I, I actually have a friend what? who was really into it. Yeah, I never uh, played it. You would like it, Nadia. You said I would like it or I wouldn't like it? You would. I, I might. I had a friend who was a really good Lulu cosplayer. You can get it on uh, PS4, you know. Oh, really? Okay. Sure. Yeah. That's right. You the, played uh, the first Final Fantasy X, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get it on PS4 and then play X2. That's the way to do it. Yeah, I should do that. But it's I gotta fun. Get like first. people like rag on it, but I like the dress sphere system. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, the three characters. It has fun with the whole concept. Yeah, that's one thing. Like I never really looked at it with any sort of scorn. It's just a matter of time. But like it mm-hmm. always looked like it never took itself too seriously. And there's lots to do. That's good. Like it's a mission based structure and everything. But I digress. Anyway, so they did a sequel. I I would say that a key sign that they were going off the rails was the second that they conceived of the fabula nova crystallis series yeah <laughs> and i was like and that was one thing i was wondering it was like was fabula nova crystallis conceived of after they moved to the ps3 mm-hmm. no oh really? it was conceived of in 2004 not long after ff10 oh i didn't know that and it sprung kind of out of that because they were mm-hmm. like oh like this extended universe concept worked well for Final Fantasy. So what if we like did that? Like we just create a whole universe of games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and boy. that is where they overextended themselves. They also did the same thing with a uh, compilation of Final Fantasy VII. That whole, I think it was a year where you had um, yep. everything to do with Final Fantasy VII, except for the remake. <laughs> they also sprung from that. Yeah. And those games were not good. And, well, Crisis Core was good. Crisis um, Core is the only thing that we got out of it that thing. was worthwhile. <laughs> uh, Advent servers. Children, not good. Before Crisis, not good. Uh, that that shooter for the PS2, really not good. Oh, God. that Was that Dirge of Cerberus? Dirge of Cerberus, really, I, I, really not good. I tried to watch a playthrough of that. It was so bad. I was just laughing the whole way. One of my friends was, like, on, high on, like, you know, like, cold medicine or something, and she was laughing her ass off the whole time. <laughs> And they really went off the rails with Dirge of Cerberus. Just a little. Yeah. I, I always I always put that out of my mind. Like the, the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. Ugh. That's the way to go. But I I like I wonder if Fabula Nova Crystallis would have looked differently would have looked different anything, if they had released thirteen. No, I'm sorry, anything named Fabula Nova Crystallis is beyond hope. It sure seemed like they added, they like merged it with Final Fantasy thirteen once they decided to move it over. Mm-hmm. So they like wrote a big Bible, like a series Bible for this thing. Aw, that's kind of cute in a sad way. Um, and then it almost feels like that the next Final Fantasy after thirteen would have become this thing. Yep. Like would have been part of this universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. In which case, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but then thirteen ended up because if thir- if it's on 13 on the PS2, then what do they make spin-offs on the HD consoles? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So right away, like this entire concept is so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, poor Final Fantasy 12, like this is ostensibly the Final Fantasy 12 cast and here I'm sitting here talking about 13. <laughs> How can you not though? 13 is 13. 13 you know, 13's 13's 13 is so interesting. Yeah. Now, 12 is its own interesting thing and it, I just feel like it feeds into what happened with 13. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was definitely a very rough time for Square Enix. But as you say, I never really thought of it that way. Just the whole like transition into Enix. Like, God, every, you're right. Everything changed. 
Yes, everything completely changed and not for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think probably at the, like, Square Enix's destiny was probably, like, set for, for the most part, like, like, like every Japanese company, they had to make a giant transition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when the current, when, you know, the HD consoles came around. The PS3 was not easy to develop for. No. And God knows uh, Western the developers exploded into like relevance mm-hmm. on uh, home console in a way that you know they had hinted at in the previous generation. Like they fully took over mm-hmm. there, and like just stuff like like m- the resource costs and building assets and like mm-hmm. the engines and everything. Like that, that hurt everybody. And Final Fantasy and Square Enix it hurt a lot. Yeah. So yeah. it was not going to be an easy adjustment period, regardless. No, uh, I do. But feel it's still like... an interesting what if, and it did. Final Fantasy XII did still presage a decade of trouble, and you could argue that if Final Fantasy XII had come out on time and thirteen had come out on the PS2, then the versus thirteen thing would never have happened, or at least it would have happened in a different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Final Fantasy XV, as we know, it would not have happened. Hey, wow, just like a whole, just a little ripple in time. It's like chain reaction, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's not been a good decade for Square Enix, regardless. No, and I really hope they, like, I feel like Final Fantasy XV, even though it has its problems, they, they're they kind of writing themselves, like they're, they're finding their footing again, and I hope that continues. Yeah, in the meantime, I mean, I liked Final Fantasy XV. Yeah, so did I. I feel like I have to say this because Mike and Katie hate Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> With a passion. Burning poison. And I know plenty of people who also hate it. I like Final Fantasy XV, so nah. Yeah, there you go. Um, And Final Fantasy XII HD is just a really nicely done package. Mm-hmm. that has like so many smart additions. I mm-hmm. love, love, love that they have the Japanese soundtrack, for example. I love that they reorchestrated it. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. how all the care that they put into the graphics. Um, and I like that they took another look at the gameplay. Like, apparently they rebalanced it so certain gambits, like, become available and spells become available much earlier, for mm-hmm. example. Oh, smart stuff. Like, this is, yeah. they did not just throw this one out the door. This is a good remaster. No, like, even though I haven't played it, like, very much yet, uh, it does sound like it's, they sat down and said, okay, how can we improve this, this old game and just kind of make it more modern? And yeah, it's not just like a simple graphical upgrade, hey, get it out the door. They actually sat down and thought about it. Yes, absolutely. So after all of that, after all that tumultuous stuff that happened after its six-year development, mm-hmm. it uh, finally gets a chance to shine. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope it uh, shines like the stars. Let's go enjoy it. Yay. <laughs> go play Final Fantasy XII HD. All right, last week we reviewed Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood, the newest expansion. Here's some comments. Writer Kicker says, I am such a slowpoke, I should have mentioned Nadia's essay on Valkyria Chronicles and Jewish representation, as it reminded me of Kevin Wong's essay on sleeping dogs, especially how an outsider's take can make an exiled view of their culture so much more valued. Mm-hmm. That just uh, makes the uh, Valkyria revolution so much more depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunate, right? Uh, the Final Fan- Dave Rahota says, The Final Fantasy 3 translation I am using is called Final Fantasy 6 Relocalization Project. It is heavily based 
on the game GBA translation. So I guess he probably patched the the ROM mm. with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that sounds like it would be a good like we we were talking about like uh, Final Fantasy on the SNES with the the Game Boy Advance translation. Good stuff. Satellite of Love says, "Wow, story started showing cracks about a decade ago, but really jumped the shark with there has to be a Lich King." And no, don't listen to the dullards thinking it wasn't good before. It was competent before and can't reach that anymore. <laughs> the only thing I know about Lich King is that uh, Adventure Times Lich character was eventually ca- was originally called the Lich King, but they had to change it because of World of Warcraft. Oh, really? Yeah. Hearthstone's um, Hearthstone is bringing back the Lich King. What Actually, precisely... the Lich King is one of the best characters in War- in Warcraft. He's great. Yeah, I don't know what's the idea. What's the deal with you have we have to have a Lich King? Like, was that a, a thing? I I really don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, Warcraft. The Lich King was introduced in Warcraft three, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the whole story is like you have this knight who's kind of brash and arrogant in a like Anakin Skywalker kind of way. Oh boy! And then he finds a sword called Frostmourne, mm-hmm. which basically drives him crazy, and he becomes a, a Death Knight. Mm. Uh, consequently and ends up leading the forces of the undead against his father's kingdom and helping them take over and then at the end of frozen throne he is summoned to northrend which is in the far north where he meets the leader of the the undead the lich king and they merge together oh okay what a nice young man and he ends up losing his identity and he Mm. becomes like the prime the prime villain of Warcraft, and you fight him in Wrath of the Lich King. Okay, so I can see where Adventure Time got that idea, too, with the Ice King. Yes. Okay, Regraffle says, I very much agree about the positivity positivity <laughs> of Neil Malcolm's games. The night I came home after Trump got elected, I went straight to playing some Trails in the Sky because I needed something bright and cheery. In the month that I followed the colorful world of Ease 8, where a bunch of people get shipwrecked and then immediately actually work together to survive often helped me cheer up effective strategy for political action no but it did make me feel better i think he might be referring to e7 or they might be referring to e7 but i could be wrong i haven't played seven yet i've played uh arc of nepotism and uh or whatever it was called and uh did you just say arc of nepotism that's what i just said <laughs> <laughs> not quite as good as what you said about titty ears but <laughs> positivity <laughs> positivity we should probably. I'm feeling positivity for the arc nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this just went to hell. Tenacious CK asks if Mike could be a steady third chair on the show. Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, we're actually launching a new podcast next week, so yeah, Mike will be a steady chair, third chair on that podcast. Smooth jazz with Mike. And Lord Bobbery says, "The more I hear about 14, the more I wish it wasn't an MMO with an attached." subscription fee because it sounds like something i could otherwise get into well that and my inconsistent internet connection mm, that would suck and adam hans jr sent me an email say hey cat nadia love the show i've been playing final fantasy 14 since the release of 2.0 back then the internet was full still full of negativity surrounding the game off the heels of its disastrous 1.0 launch and in mm. general sentiment was that 2.0 would meet the same fate However, those of us who were playing it knew that we had found something special. Four years later, I still play Final Fantasy XIV routinely with many of the same people I first met in-game at launch, and I am overjoyed to see how successful the game has become. From wiping out on 2.0 Demon Wall to entering Ishgard for the first time, Final Fantasy XIV will forever live in my heart. It's one of my favorite games and one of my best gaming experiences I have ever had in over 20 years. 
Blood God helps me find enjoyment in my two-hour Friday commute home, and I look forward to it every week. Keep up the good work. Oh, Thank you nice. very much. And yeah, a really special MMORPG can like bring some of your most precious gaming memories. And I agree. That's really amazing that you've been playing since way even before A Realm Reborn. Like, that yeah, takes congratulations. Because, man, that game did not look good back before <laughs> A Realm Reborn. Let me tell you that much. No, it's pretty bad. Last thing, uh, Robert Boyd, who has been on the show before as creator of Cosmic Star, Heroine, and Cthulhu Saves the World, various other games, Z-Boyd games, uh, was asking, what is the best JRPG battle system? And I responded, I contend that Chrono Trigger has the best JRPG battle system. And I argued that I, I liked it because it's elegant, uh, I liked the flexibility of the double and triple texts, mm-hmm. and I argued that uh, it gives you so much flexibility to create so many interesting types of encounters. And I love, love, love how, uh, to a lesser extent, the regular battles, but especially the boss battles, are like puzzles that you have to solve with your uh, with your party composition, with the way that you use your texts and everything. It just works really well. Even down to the point where, like, there's a boss battle that's not even really a boss battle. Like, you're chasing him yeah. all the way to the end, and then you have him fall into a pit. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite. What are your thoughts, Nadia? Chrono Trigger is definitely up there, and one of the main reasons that is is because I can sit here and remember off the top of my head exactly how it works. Like, it's so easy to explain, but so complex at the same time, whereas I'm thinking about it, Another battle system I loved, I remember enjoying it very much, was uh, The World Ends With You. But I can't sit here and explain to you off the top of my head, how did that work? You know, it was just uh, a little bit too complex for that. But I don't know, Chrono Trigger, the way combined, like, it was so revolutionary for its time, too, when you consider, like, everything was, almost everything back then was random battles. And just the fact that it really let you control what you could go after and how. Like, it was a very sleek, streamlined RPG, all things told. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say, yeah, I would definitely say that, like, put everything together, I would say Chrono Trigger, like, even though it has these tiny imperfections, I'd put it on top easy. Maybe a close second would be, uh, Mario RPG, because that changed so much for turn-based battles. Uh, Robert Boyd responded, by the way, Chrono Trigger's direct-on-map is a great feature, but the combat itself is too slow, and available skills lack mechanical variety, just damage. I mean, I suppose so. Like, you have, um, I mean, really, it's healing and then various different types of damage. And you can also cast haste on your characters, too, I think. But Yeah. Like, status effects are not really a thing in this game. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I, I think that having a more directed and focused uh, approach can be really good for a game like Chrono Trigger. Status effects in Chrono Trigger are interesting, too, because, first of all, pretty early on, you find ways to combat those status effects, like with certain armors and accessories that, that keep, like, a lot of status effects away. But there are certain bosses, Labos included, who can kind of go over those defenses and screw you up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Horner says, Agreed with a side note, the time bar feature in Grandia is also pretty sweet. Uh, Sean Strux says, I can't decide between Chrono Trigger and Earthbound. Blizzard Jesus, I'm quite favorable for X15 and Xenoblade for the Wii. Mm, that was a good Travis one. Travis Saucier, Grandia deserves to be in the conversation. Sean McGee, Secret of Mana circles for me. <laughs> uh, Calories Mate, Mother's Three rhythm based system was. Um, some people agreed with that. Yeah, Adam Loops, I agree. Fantasy like that one. Star 4. 
Uh, so you're you really you're you're a big fan of Mother Three system. Um, I was once I got used to once I really learned how to use it. Like uh, the the way to do it is to put the enemies to sleep and then like listen to their heartbeat and, and learn how to attack by the rhythm with that. But one thing Mother Three does that no other RPG does or very few RPGs do is it gives you some different freaking battle music. Like, it doesn't just give you one tune or two tunes. Like the way I do love the way that it gives you so many different songs and a battle can actually turn out to be a lot harder if you get a, a, a song with a tricky rhythm it's not a make or break all the time but i do like the fact that it does that and it also has the uh the hp counter roll and you really have to learn how to use that or else you're going to die <laughs> so it does a real it does a few things really well but i can see why some people might be put off by it I'm with Shido Yas, says the SMT Persona 4 system, or Persona system is best by far. Other battle systems can devolve to button mashing. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, what do you think, Nadia? Uh, as much as I love Personas uh, as a game, I find its battle system is not that original. Like, I love using mm. Personas, but it's still at its heart a turn-based game. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, I think the fact that it's heavily based on, like, elemental damage, like, the That's weaknesses true. and that kind of thing, so... That's true, that is, um, it is one series where you really do have to seriously think about who you take into your party based on what elements they use. My favorite battle systems are the ones that, when you're fighting regular people, like, you're just, you're doing a few things, and then when you're fighting a boss or you're in a major encounter, mm -hmm. like, that's when you break out the big guns. Mm-hmm. Like, that you can go to, like, multiple different levels, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Chrono Trigger, like, you would use maybe, like, one attack to wipe out uh, a herd of enemies. But yeah. when you get to a boss battle, it's like, oh, okay, here we go. Breaking out the double and the triple techs here, okay. Like, we have to figure out a strategy here. We can't use the same strategy every time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, and you really can't because of Chrono Trigger 2. Enemy placement, which often depends on what angle you encounter them, that can really change up your strategy because some texts are like, you know, are kind of a circular pattern. Some are a straight pattern. You know, some are like a, almost like a triangular pattern. It's, it's very interesting in that regard. Uh, Steve, who's been on this podcast before, um, when he, he responded to me that he, he could name three off the top of his head that he considered better than Chrono Trigger. <laughs> and when I read them to you, Nadia, you went, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Dragon Quarter, Grandia 2 and Fantasy Star 4. Somebody else mentioned Mother 3, which I'd also picked. Uh, Nadia, thoughts? Uh, Dragon, I don't want to say it's a bad system. Just the, the fact that it, like, it stressed me out so much, that game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what way? It's been so long since I played it, but uh, I just remember like I wanted to enjoy myself, but I couldn't because just... I know it was a game where you were meant to, to die a lot, but God, it was so easy to make a mistake in that game and screw everything up. It's very much a game where you have to think about every move you make, because if you don't, the enemy will destroy you. Every move you take, every breath you make. I was so, watching you. Yes. But that's maybe that's not really a failing of the battle system, to be honest. That's my own failing, because I'm so used to Breath of Fire being a, a more traditional, laid-back RPG series, even though it does have its challenges. It's still very straightforward. And then Breath of Fire 5 comes along. Oh, everything's different now. And, yeah. You'll never fail, Nadia. <laughs> I have failed many times in my life. Okay. Well, this hasn't been um this hasn't been a long well this has been a long podcast, much longer than I was expecting, but in any case, Access Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. Uh check us out on social media, find us on Twitter at 
US Gamernet, uh, Facebook, US Gamernet, and of course, follow Nadia and I at the underscore cap off for me and at Nadia Oxford for Nadia. I mentioned that we are launching a new podcast next week. We are. Please look forward to that next Wednesday. Uh, rate and subscribe and all that. You'll be finding all of the information for that once that comes out. Uh, in the meantime, please leave Acts of the Blood God a review on Stitcher or iTunes or both, <laughs> uh, especially Stitcher, because um, we, we, well, first of all, we want to hear from you. Um, mm-hmm. We love hearing from you. You're, we do. you're the best. You, you guys are great. But also, it really helps our visibility uh, to continue to get engagement and those reviews and all that stuff. Um, and of course, like us on Facebook because, well, you want to hear from us, right? And Nadia is always posting really interesting and <laughs> stuff. Sure, let's, let's say interesting. <laughs> All right, Nadia, I'm going to commit to this. We're going to do this, all right? Okay. You know what we're going to do next week? What are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to do a live broadcast of oh. Acts of the Blood God. It is and time. You know what we're going to do? What? I'm going to finish Chrono Trigger. You're going to finish uh, Persona 4. Oh. We're going to make this our live broadcast, okay? It's okay, It's happening next week. It's happening. It's Ron happening. Paul it's happening. <laughs> waving hands. Hands are waving everywhere. Uh, I think it's going to have to be on probably like it. It can't happen on Thursday or Friday because I'm actually going to be out of town. But maybe like Tuesday or Wednesday, like we'll mm-hmm. have to we'll have to find a good time and then actually like like lay it out there. But we will we let you have know. Had to record it earlier anyway. So yeah. <laughs> yes, we will let you so, know. In any case, uh, we'll we'll be back next week for that. Um, until then, I've been Cat Bailey, and for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, as always. And until then, happy adventuring. Bye.